0: Hi, my name is John Schwartz. Today you're going to hear some stories of wild animals and the people who love them in our podcast series, Tales of Transformation, The Magic Between Humans and Wild Animals. And with me is our storyteller and tour guide, Dr. Susan Eyreck, the founder and director of Earthfire Institute, a wildlife sanctuary. Susan?
1: So I'd like to start by telling you a story. We had a ancient wolf called Thunder. He was huge, he was 17, and he was fading. And eventually, as the summer wore on, we realized that we were going to lose him, and we made sure he spent all his time out in our wildlife garden which is a large enclosed space with ponds and trees. And he enjoyed his last days there under the cool pine tree under uh, surrounded by purple flowers. And he'd get up and totter around. But eventually he fell into unconsciousness. And he stayed unconscious, but he didn't pass away. And eventually... we called the vet and he said, you know, it's cruel to let him stay like that because he's so strong but his kidneys are failing, everything's failing it's really the best thing to help him pass I have mixed feelings about that, which is a whole other story about when you help and when you don't and it's a, a very difficult issue for each of us that we all have to face but I said yes so he was lying in the garden And the vet came, Don, and I was lying next to Thunder petting him, and he was behind a knoll, and we had, at the time, 30 other wolves, but they were in a place separate. They couldn't see or hear.
0: Hmm.
1: So Don came, and I was petting Thunder, and Don got down on his knees and took out his stethoscope and put it on Thunder's heart and then gave him the shot. And he was pretty far gone so it went very quickly. But the absolute millisecond that his heart stopped beating because Don was listening with a stethoscope. The absolute millisecond that happened. All thirty of our wolves began a low mournful howl. They couldn't see him, they couldn't hear him. They couldn't know what was happening on any normal sensory pathway. but it was so precise or so um, that might not be the right word, so tuned in mm-hmm. that it just startled all of us. And Don, who was kind of a meat and potatoes kind of guy, turned pale because he was right there touching the animal as it happened. And he was unguarded because he wasn't expecting it. And so it like went right through into his heart, past all the layers of meat and potatoes type thinking, right to his heart, and he turned pale. And he got up and st- stood up and looked around and said, what, what, what? Are, are they feeding the animals? What? Because he couldn't put the two things together in his frame of reference. Hmm. And we said, no, you know what, Don? We didn't expect it either, but that's why we do the work we do. Huh. Because there's stuff happens way beyond what our understanding is. Um, we just have to be open to witness the utter magic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's really um, a fundamental theme of of why we do what we do. We're not just a wildlife sanctuary in that sense. For various reasons most of our animals can never be released and that means we live with them for life and we get to see all these changes over life we get to see these changes from if we get them young all the way through maturity and through actual death and dying and I've just seen things that have completely blown my mind are way out of my own frame of reference because I actually came from a scientific background um With a hardcore scientific father a degree in biology but you know a really good science means you're open to things Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and uh it's been quite a journey that i want to share
0: this experience with don you referred to it as meat and potatoes um I take it from that you mean that that the synchronized howling that happened at that moment uh, of Thunder's uh, heart stopping um, was something that he couldn't make any sense of. And, of course, immediately he looked for some rational explanation why this was happening. Yeah. Um, It sounds like what you're saying is that perhaps you could not make any greater sense of it either other than to say that in your experience of working with wild animals um that there is a there's a typical theme running through your story which is to expect unexpected to 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 your point that good science has an open curiosity about it and so that this story i get the feeling from listening to you where it may not have been as much a part of don's experience it's been your experience that events like that moments like that happen and they tell us something even though we may not know exactly how to understand it but they tell us that there's so much more going on than than what what we can perceive um is that is that part of your experience is that part of the magic of your work and uh and what how would you you know if you were having coffee with don afterward and he said well what what do you think happened there how would you respond to that?
1: How would he respond to it? No, how would you
0: respond if he asked you what the heck was going on there? Were you guys feeding the wolves? What was happening?
1: I don't know what's happening, but the clear sense of it was that there was a communion mm-hmm. between the wolves. And thunder that they sensed his passing, and whether they were howling him on his passage, saying goodbye, just acknowledging the passing of another. I don't know, but one of the fascinating things it brings up is the concept of uh, senses like telepathy beyond what we are ordinarily taught. That's very alive in wild animals. There's, there are a lot of stories and evidence about telepathy among wolves. That's that's how they coordinate themselves long distance. It's how they hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's um, scientific accounts of it. Mm-hmm. But what is it? How does it happen? How do they sense it? Why do they have the response they did? Like, there's so many levels at which you can understand it. It could be just... Um, nonverbal some sort of telepathic communication between animals that need to communicate with one another in order to stay as a pack and hunt and survive. Mm-hmm. It could be at a much more mysterious level at which they felt the passing of a fellow spirit and were doing their own version of mourning or praying. Mm-hmm. Um, it just opens all these questions. The particular thing that struck me most was the quality of the howl it wasn't an excited howl it wasn't a hunting howl it wasn't a feeding howl it was a low sounded like a grieving a mourning mm-hmm. it was low beautiful harmonious with all the different voices it was uh, stunning So it brings up the question of what's going on beyond our usually narrowly focused minds Mm -hmm. um, if we open ourselves. And when you talked about unexpected things, um, I have no idea how all these things happened in a way that uh, all the stories we're going to be talking about just as you live them, they just happen. Mm -hmm. And then they raise all these questions of the world being a little more than we are taught, Mm -hmm. of the world of nature and wild animals being infinitely more mysterious, exciting, loving, vibrant, than we're usually able to tune into, given our, our background, our civilization our training there is utter magic healing and wonder out there available for us Mm.
0: and how does the experience inform for you personally how you view thunder but other wolves and other wild animals and how and and how it's left you and and with that what would be your, your wish for the rest of us as people in how you would hope they might uh, view a moment like that and thunder himself and the animals themselves?
1: I'm not sure I understand your question.
0: So with, um, with your experience, with uh, let's just take this the thunder story as an example, and the Don's reaction and your, your reckoning of what happened as something that you could witness and that you could perhaps tap into but you didn't necessarily understand nor have to understand. Um, but does it inform you and in how you want to view uh, other beings, other w- wild animals? And these experiences, they, do they help define for you how you view your relationship? to wild animals and and any wish you might have for how others should view, other people should view their relationship to wild animals.
1: The strongest thing for me is a sense of connection, Mm -hmm. profound emotional connection between wolves as one example. And then I have seen that over and over and over and over with every species under my care. And the species we have here at Earth Fire were located um, in near Grand Teton National Park, and we have animals that are native to the area and it's happened with every single species and it's happened between us humans and species mm-hmm. so it's not something unique to the wolves and the though wolves do it in a wolf way and bears do it in a bear way and and do it in a cougar way with their own beautiful color and flavor, both both of the species and of the individual of the species. But the sense of connection, if I had anything to share and hope for, for my fellow humans, is the power and beauty and, and healing quality, just stunning mm. beauty of... Connecting with other beings, mm-hmm. we feel it. Most of us with our dogs or our cats or mm-hmm. our parakeets. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved my young parakeet. I wasn't allowed to have any other animals, and I've punished my parents ever since. But now I have sixty of them. <laughs> but, but uh, um, we have that profound sense. And I'm saying it's possible with all animals. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I've experienced. That is possible with all animals. And we have this barrier between us and other species, but it's a less barrier between us and domestic animals. And then we have a barrier even greater between us and wild animals. Mm-hmm. But it's not... And we have to have some level of barrier because they need to separate from us, from us in order to survive. And there are elements of danger in certain circumstances. But if that danger is taken away, like with the animals we have at the sanctuary where everybody feels safe, the bears and the wolves and the humans, and they all feel safe because they can interact but not be endangered, then these other things come out. These other potentials come out for a flow of energy that is just com- profound companionship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And also, when the animals are in distress um, and we we need to care for them, it becomes not just the beautiful companionship; it becomes a profound um, interaction. As any time someone becomes helps heal another being, there's an intimacy that develops that is even more profound. Hmm. And then there's the um, quality of a just companionship. We we did a um, retreat a few months ago. I had invited people who were in positions to begin to change how we see wildlife because I wanted them to have the intimate experience of animals because you can think about them in theory and love them and you can write about them, but being right there with them, mm-hmm. there's a vitality and a reality that happens that changes entirely how you think of them and, and how hard you're prepared to fight for them because mm. there's a heart connection. So we had one of our bears out, Teton Totem, um, in his area. And we were just separated by a hot wire um, and a, a sort of like a, a strong chicken wire fence so that we could be within a couple of feet. Mm-hmm. And we'd been together and and opening ourselves to um, different energies Like if you come rushing in in a car and you're just thinking about your business, your head's gonna be in one place. If you spend time on the land and relax and walk, your head gets into another place. And when you're in that place, you're more receptive. Mm. And then the animals become more receptive. Mm. And there's a better chance of this beautiful flow happening. And we had eight people on one side. It was a lovely sunny day in late October. And people were lying on the grass. And one of the people I'd invited was a well known artist who's also a musician, and he had a little mandolin. And Teton had plenty of room to be away from us, but he was right there on the other side. So we were one foot or two, about two feet apart. Um, And Billy started playing his mandolin. This is on a, we actually have this on videotape Mm. on, on YouTube. And there was just this beautiful sense of, all of us beings in the sun and the grass and the birds and humans lying down and Billy playing his mandolin and Teton sitting right there just being with us and swaying in his own way to the music. Um, this can't happen all the time, but it applies. that there's a whole different way of being in the world than we're used to thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, with Teton Totem's story... Thunder and your your reflections on connection. I was wondering as you were talking about connection because most of our listeners have um, their experience with wild animals is limited to perhaps a chance encounter on a trail in a national park or uh, which may have been scary for all parties involved or I mean what I'm getting at is that we People have, uh, I think, when you talk about connection, everybody has their own understanding of what connection means between themselves and other people, or what it means between themselves and their pet parakeet or their dog or their cat. Uh, what it may mean for uh, other domesticated animals is this: this connection you talk about with wild animals is it a kind of is it a a, a kind of relationship that is that is really different or in some way more profound or expansive than what we think of as connection with these other beings that most of us are used to to being in, in relationship with. Is there something more in the wild yes. uh, world of animals that most people don't understand?
1: I don't know if they don't understand it, but there is something different. Mm-hmm. And that is that wild animals have to think for themselves. They have to grow up. And be independent. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of survival. Mm -hmm. Our dogs and other well, everyone will understand that cats are an exception. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But basically, um, dogs, parakeets, etc. They're they're we've bred them to um, be dependent, Mm -hmm. and that suits us just fine because, in many ways, it makes them comfortable, safer. And really, with dogs, we actually have this something called neoteny, where you, they stay juvenile. Hmm. Their faces are still juvenile, if you compare a dog's face or a wolf face. Um, and they never get, or well they usually don't get to that place of total independence. Sometimes they do, as they grow older, as they grow up from puppydom, you have to, um, there'll be a time when they try to rebel a little, like an adolescent must, and they have to assert your dominance, but it's very mild. Mm -hmm. And they stay basically dependent on us. They look to us. And because wild animals are fully separate, independent, thinking, yes, thinking, beings, the relationship has more of um, adult to adult, Mm -hmm. except for when they're ill, say, and then it gets to that sweet, soft place that you have between... um, anybody who's caring for someone else. But there's this tremendous sense of um, dignity and wonder and equality and that is quite different.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was wondering if uh, this might be a good time for you to tell, us, uh, tell our audience um, how your journey got started to do what you do and to have these, uh, these experiences that you now have. Um, a little bit about you, what, 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 and we've, we've, you and I have talked before about your journey and how things have sort of fallen in place as you've gone along. But I wonder if, uh, if if it'd be a good time to share about that.
1: Fallen into place. I'm not sure that's the right word for it. Dragged, kicking and screaming. Maybe, (laughs) (laughs) um, I, I keep looking and saying, how did I get here? So, I've loved animals ever since I can remember being conscious. And I remember as a little girl, I don't know how old I was, four, six, eight, having a conversation with my mother, asking her why animals didn't have the same rights as people. It didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. She couldn't answer it, but I remember vividly asking her and wondering why. Um, but life being life, I went to school and I went to college and got a degree in biology at the time and then met my ex-husband and he wanted to go get his Ph.D. and I said, what the hell, (laughs) Um, I might as well get one too and that was in psychology and I loved my family, but as with every family, there were difficulties. So I went into counseling, which I actually loved. It was so fascinating to try to explore these things. And um, so I went down to Kentucky to get my degree and lived on a farm. And one day, this bedraggled gray kitten walked up the driveway. I think he'd been thrown from a car Mm. probably with a bag of them. And I never had a specially strong relationship with cats, but it was an animal and it was in need. So of course I gave it a home. I don't know, within 12 hours maybe, that little being was sitting on my chest purring and I was just lost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I get lost very easily that way. Mm. And I loved that cat beyond anything I'd ever experienced. I have no idea why. I just loved him beyond all anything. And he got ill with a mysterious illness that seems to be in the soil there in Kentucky, and got congestive heart failure when he was maybe two. I didn't think I could bear the loss. Yeah. It was, And all these years later, I can still feel the loss vividly. I still don't know why I felt such a strong connection, but he passed away. But it started a an opening mm-hmm. for me. Um, away from the rigidity of traditional thinking. The love was so profound and the connection was so strong that it opened me to other possibilities that I didn't really realize. I can only realize that looking back that it was the beginning of an opening towards a whole different lifestyle. And then I grew up on the east coast but one summer my parents took me out west and I saw the Grand Tetons and the space and the beauty and the wildness of the west and I told my parents when I was 11 this is my country, I'm going to live here Hmm. and they laughed at me Um, but it didn't matter Hmm. so I eventually when I followed various life's vagaries um after traveling around the world and living in some other cultures for a while because I really loved trying to see through other people's eyes, um, I moved out west. And also, I always wanted to get a wolf, but I said, who can get a wolf? And I don't know why I always wanted a wolf. It's the same thing as always having loved animals. I have no idea why I wanted a wolf. But I did. But I didn't think you could have one. And then some years ago, Someone started breeding dogs and wolves, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years ago. And the minute I heard that you could get a wolf hybrid, that was it. I didn't care what the consequences were. I was going to have one. And then when I got one, my commitment was total. Um, It was very early in the breeding at that time. Um, There weren't that many around. And everyone warned you, don't get them. They're not a dog. They're not a wolf. Um, So I did, I called everybody in the country that I could find who had one, discussed it with them and made a commitment because this animal was neither a dog nor a wolf and it was my responsibility. So I made a commitment to never go anywhere without him. So that animal, Tatanka was his name, um, went with me everywhere. Um, If somebody wanted me to come to a board meeting, I didn't go without him. Um, I remember taking him up to the top of, I think it was Doubleday in New York, the penthouse for a board meeting up there and i had him in my arms because he was still fairly young and as i was going through some doors you know swinging doors um i'm not sure what happened but he made a little whimper and it's funny Everybody came rushing out of their stores and all that stuff, this busy building down in Wall Street, and looked at me as if I'd murdered someone. It was great to see in that setting how much people loved animals. And then I went all the way up to this glassed, sterile penthouse meeting, and everybody came running out of their office. It was life mm. in the middle of the city. Anyway, I loved that animal. He lived 15 glorious years. But, in the process of of trying to learn how to be best take best care of him, I decided to take a trip and I traveled throughout the country, i think eight thousand miles one summer going to meet everybody who had a wolf hybrid to learn what I could about how to take best care of this animal that was neither wolf nor dog and And often, what happens if you take something that's been bred like we've done with domestic animals and mix it with and a brain that's exquisitely tuned we're interrupting the exquisite tuning you know we breed for say long backs or or spots and nature doesn't breed for that mm-hmm. so you're mixing two different things so there's a lot of warning um, but I think I was just lucky with his temperament he was just a complete and total joy and one of the women I met his name was Mary We became friends when I moved out west. Um, We became friends and she suggested that we spend New Year's Eve together. And she was actually the one who started breeding dogs and wolves many years ago. And so on New Year's Eve, she suggested we go and visit this guy she knew who had beautiful wolves. And he was half French and didn't talk that much. She said, But you know, you're going to really like his wolves. So I said, Well, you know, it sounds like a fine New Year's Eve to me. So we drove up to his place, which was about 8,000 feet up above Park City. We drove up from Flagstaff, where I'd moved, um, through a blinding blizzard. We actually had to stop overnight because the roads were impassable. And then we got to the bottom of where he lived. And um, then we had to go up this really steep, winding, icy mountain road because he lived up at 8,000 feet in the dead of winter. Who's the only one who lived there? And we finally made it up there late. It was 30 degrees below zero, still blizzarding. And we got out of the car. We couldn't go up his driveway. It was impassable. Got up, walked up there, and in the moonlight, was this row of enclosures. And inside those enclosures were the most vibrant, gorgeous, kinetic creatures I'd ever seen in my life. And they were wolves. Just The sheer vitality and intelligence just knocked me out. So Mary and I, and and the name of the guy is Jean, um, and a friend of hers spent New Year's Eve, New Year's weekend, in his unheated, unfinished cabin up at 8,000 feet at 30 below um, but something happened that weekend and I don't know what it was I only know that when we left at the end of the weekend I told Mary I have no idea what happened except I'm dazed and somehow I know that my life has permanently changed Um, So there's some connection between Jean and I. So Jean had spent the last, I don't know, 20 years of his life um, training animals, wild animals for movies. But he did it very unconventionally. He did it by connecting profoundly with them. He would sleep with his wolves. And he said he could smell the difference between a white wolf and a black wolf. I mean, they were his, his deep companions up there. And so he trained from observation, connection, and reward. And I suddenly realized, I guess on some level, that if we joined forces, he with his uncanny ability to connect with and understand and handle wild animals, and me with my urge to share who wild animals are with my fellow humans,
0: Thank you, Susan, for the conversation and for the story that reminds us of the beauty of life.
1: Thank you, John, for making it possible.
0: You're welcome. And if you'd like more information, please go to earthfireinstitute.org. That's earthfireinstitute, one word.org.